right, well, this uh, sermon has been coming for the last couple weeks, so I'm excited about today. It's kind of a real practical focus, I hope, uh, sermon that could be some real encouragement to us. So I have a couple guys that come forward. I have these little um, um, daily prayer journals that I'm going to hand out so everyone can just take one, and um, um, as you do that, and then that way... I'm going to be referring to these at the end of the sermon. We're going to be going through them, but I wanted to pass them out now um, so you can have them in your hands as we talk about them and what, um, as we start looking at Nehemiah's prayer. Well, in the movie Gravity, there is a veteran uh, astronaut named uh, Mike, named Matt Kalowski. He's in charge of the Shuttle Explorer's mission, the mission to repair the Hubble telescope. And uh, uh, there's a rookie specialist along in this movie called Dr. Ryan Stone. Well, out of the blue, Houston calls these astronauts who are out repairing the Hubble telescope to immediately abort their mission. There's a warning that a Russian missile had hit a satellite. And it had started to cause this train reaction. And now there is a storm of debris that's coming their way. And the astronauts need to quickly uh, try to get for cover. Well, soon they lose uh, communication with mission control in Houston. As a result uh, of the debris strikes, both Stone and Kowalski now must make their way to the International Space Station if they have any hope of survival. Kowalski bravely sacrifices himself to give Dr. Stone a better chance of making it. Isolated and coming to grips with her mortality, Dr. Stone has the following conversation with God. She says, I'm going to die, aren't I, God? I know we're all going to die. We're all going to die. But I'm going to die today. Funny that you know. But the thing is, I'm still scared. I'm really scared. Nobody will mourn for me. No one will pray for my soul. Will you mourn for me? Will you pray for me? Or is it too late? I mean, I'd pray for myself, but I never prayed in my life. No one ever taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how. Well, the hope is that today, as you're walking out of this room and this time, you will never be able to say, nobody ever taught me how. See, one of the great questions the disciples asked Jesus is recorded for us in Luke chapter 11. The disciples had watched Jesus. They'd watched him pray over and over and over again. As you read the Gospels, if you read closely, you have to be struck with, with the faithfulness of Jesus in his prayers and how often he would be off by himself praying for hours. Jesus, the very Son of God, praying. The simple yet uh, profound example to, to the disciples brought about this request of Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. See, Jesus is not only our model of what a person looks like who prays, but he is also our teacher teaching us to pray. So today, as we look there at Nehemiah's prayer, 
which have the same elements in it as the Lord's Prayer, as the model prayer, we're going to learn from God's Word how to pray. One of the values that we expressed in our Vision 2020 meeting is that we wanted to be a church that prays. We want to be a church that knows and lives out the truth that anything accomplished of eternal value starts with prayer. And so we have these special prayer times for Vacation Bible School and for other things, just opportunities for us to gather together in prayer. You see, prayer is simply communicating with God. It's a many-colored thing. Just as there's no one certain way to talk to your spouse or to talk to a friend, there's not just one certain way to talk to God. You can talk to God from anywhere, from a palace to the prison, from the mountaintop to the valley, and at any time, early in the morning, late at night, you can talk to God while you're walking, while you're driving, while you're sitting, while you're lying down, while you're kneeling, with folded hands or without folded hands. You can talk to God when you're happy, when life is good. You can talk to God when you're sad, when life is rotten, and and anywhere in between. There's no formula. There's no specific words. There's no detailed procedure. There's no particular time or no particular stance. Prayer is simply communicating with God. And you know, when we look at it that way in its most fullest sense, you might be surprised by actually how much you are praying by how much throughout your day you're communicating with God. Maybe a song comes on the radio that prompts you to to thank God. Many songs that we we sing are really becoming prayers of our hearts as we sing them to God. Our aspirations, our feelings, our faith. Maybe you see a deer in the backyard. Maybe you see this beautiful sunset driving home. There's been this very beautiful golden hawk that's been feasting out of our mud pit from the slopstacle in the back of the church here i've seen him several times he's gorgeous i see him and and you know what happens i start praying i start thanking god for his wonderful creation and all that he has done maybe when you've been thinking about your kids or your grandkids you just naturally start talking to god Lord help them, Lord protect them. Lord guide and direct them. Maybe as you interact with your overbearing boss, right? Or that annoying coworker. Your thoughts just intuitively start going to God and asking him for his help, asking him for his patience, asking him for his wisdom. Maybe you hear bad news on the evening news or in the newspaper, or maybe an ambulance or a fire truck goes by. Without even thinking about it, you just start talking to God. It just intuitively starts coming out of you to pray for God's help and his grace for those going through such hard times. You know, if we thought about it, I think we actually pray more than we really think about. Cuz we're talking to God in various ways throughout our day. So do that. Do more of that. Do a lot more of that. Just in the natural course of your life, talk to God. Share your heart, share your thoughts, your hurts, your blessings, your temptations. Talk to God as you go throughout your day. That at least is in part of what 1 Thessalonians 5:17 means. Pray without ceasing. Well, that type of prayer 
is not the challenge before us today. The challenge presented before us today from Nehemiah is the spiritual discipline of prayer. Continual, conversational prayer is great. It's important and it's necessary. And the spiritual discipline of prayer, focused and consistent and recurrent, is necessary. So open your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. And follow along as I read uh, Nehemiah's prayer, starting there at verse 4. As soon as I heard these things, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's household have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are on the othermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants. And your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Father, we pray to you now as we reflect through our hearts, through your word, now this prayer of Nehemiah. We pray, Lord, as the disciples, teach us to pray. Amen. What a great prayer, huh? What a great prayer to learn from. You know, as as we begin our thoughts on prayer this morning, I want to share with you a quote from Martin Luther. I think it's a great quote. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying a hold of God's willingness. Let me say that again. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying a hold of his willingness. I think sometimes we fundamentally come to prayer with the complete wrong notion. Somehow prayer is us beseeching God to do things that he doesn't want to do. Like he's some grumpy old man hoarding and holding on to all of his blessings until we say it the right way, until we've asked enough times, until we've waited long enough. Somehow prayer is overcoming God's reluctance. He doesn't really want to help us, but if we just beg the right way, maybe he'll acquiesce to our requests. Sometimes we think that prayer is trying to get God to do what we want him to do. That's not prayer. Prayer is not manipulating God to get him what we want. See, fundamentally, prayer is the total opposite of that. Prayer is laying a hold of God's willingness. Prayer is not conforming God's will to our will, 
Prayer is conforming our will to God's will. Prayer is not a means to get God to bless what we want. It's a means to get God to bless what He wants. Prayer is aligning our wills, our wants, our hopes, our desires, our future, and our plans with what God wants. You see, God is alive. He's doing great things. We believe in a sovereign God who is working all things, everything, according to the counsel of his own will. Pastor Timothy Keller illustrates this point with this story from his early 20s. He says, I prayed for an entire year about a girl I was dating and wanted to marry. But she just wanted out of the relationship. All year I prayed, Lord, don't let her break up with me. Of course, in hindsight, it was the wrong girl. I actually did what I could to actually help God along with his prayers because one summer, near the end of the relationship, I got in a location that made it easier to see her. I was saying, Lord, I'm, I'm making this as easy for you as possible. I've asked you for this. I've taken the geographical distance away. But as I look back, God was saying, Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything. I know. That's a great line. Listen to that again. When a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. See, prayer is laying a hold of God's willingness and trusting that he actually knows more than we do. And he's working out his will. So that leads us to our first point. Our attitude of prayer should be humility. Nehemiah gets the news of the condition of his homeland. The people are in great trouble. The wall is ruined and the, the gates are burned. The testimony, the reputation of God is shattered. And he turns to God in prayer. He mourns, he fasts, he prays. He's not demanding. He's not selfish. He's not self-righteous. He sees the seriousness of the problem and he comes humbly before God. Not some kind of weak humility. He doesn't come to God like a, a peddler holding out his hat for a donation. Biblical humility has nothing to do with weakness. nothing to do with reluctance. It has nothing to do with shame. Biblical humility starts with the basic realization that there is a God and we are not him. See, biblical humility in prayer is simply recognizing with due respect who you are praying to. In verse 4 and 5, Nehemiah describes God as the God of heaven who is great and awesome. God is great, all-powerful, and God is awesome, all-knowing. He is, he's the powerful creator and designer of all things from the single-cell amoeba to the largest star in the universe. And this very same God is all-loving, actually attentive to our prayers. How humbling. How awe-inspiring. You see, when we pray, there should be an accompanying tone of reverence and respect. In our intimate communication with God, we do well to not forget who we are talking to. But at the very same time, commingled with our reverence and respect, 
commingled with our humility and our recognition of who we are talking to. There's no foreboding. There's no sense of rejection. We are welcomed into the presence of God like a child to his father. Romans 8.14 following says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, when we pray, we're not just praying as a fallen, mortal, temporal being to a holy, immortal, eternal being. We're also praying as a child to a father. We've received the adoption of sons as God's children through the work of the Spirit in our lives at salvation so that we can cry out to the almighty creator, designer of the universe, the most holy one, we can cry out, Father. See, direct access to the Father has been opened through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. It's only because of what Jesus did. It's only because of his death, because of his sacrifice, because of the power of his resurrection. The veil was torn. And we have a direct conduit of prayer to our Father. We pray to our God who is transcendent, who is not like us, perfect, holy, unchangeable, all-powerful, complete in every way. We pray to our God who is our Father, who loves us, who is all-caring, a healer, giver of life, giver of eternal life, encouragement and hope. So close. So intimate. Both realities, the reality of His mighty transcendence and the reality of His awesome, loving eminence brings us humility. The first point of prayer is to pray with an attitude of humility. The next we naturally see that grows out of prayer steeped in humility flows adoration. Nehemiah starts his prayer praising God for who he is. Psalm 100 verses 4 and 5 put it this way. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. See, Nehemiah adores God. He says, oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, to adore God means to magnify him, to extol him, to to tell him that we love him, to declare God's greatness, to tell him we appreciate him, to cherish him. A great way to start a disciplined time of prayer is to start with adoring God for who he is, to enter his courts with praise. Nehemiah didn't start off his prayer with a focus on himself. Nehemiah didn't start off the prayer with a focus on the predicament of the people. He starts off his prayer focused on the character of God. He entered the throne room of God with praise. Oh, sovereign God, you're great and awesome. You keep your promises and your love is endless to those who follow you. What a great way to start a prayer. 
It's not hard to start a prayer with adoration. Just a thought or two, a sentence or two about how awesome God is, about one of his amazing characteristics, sets the whole tone of the prayer and focuses the one who is praying on laying a hold of the willingness of our God. Well, to steal a line, to challenge us, to pray adoration to our God. There's this song. So I say this to you. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have you told God that there's no one else above you? Have you, in just those intimate adoration moments with God, say, God, you fill my heart with gladness. You take away all my sadness. It's beautiful to just adore our God, to just tell him that we love him. Well, the beginning focus of our prayer should start with adoration. Next, we see the honesty of our prayer, confessing sin. Nehemiah uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of, your, uh, of Israel, your servants. What a beautiful, just introductory uh, comments asking the God of the universe to have his eyes up to hear. And what does he say? Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly and against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. So here's a good question. When's the last time you confessed your sin to God? When is the last time you were honest with God about the sins in your life. See, one of the neat realities of starting off a prayer with adoration is that often when we have a proper view of God, it will lead us to a more complete and proper view of ourselves, which will in turn lead us to confession and repentance. We see that in Isaiah's experience. The throne room of God in Isaiah 6, after seeing God in all of his splendor and all of his glory, the first thing that comes out of Isaiah's mouth is, woe is me. I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. First thing he recognizes when he adores God and he sees him for who he is is his sinfulness and he confesses. See, proper adoration leads to honest confession. Nehemiah's confession wasn't just for himself. That's, that's always where confession, confession must start. But his confession is also for his family, for his people, for his nation. And he confesses a very specific sin. We have not kept the commandments. That's the sin he's confessing. See, biblical confession is specific. True confession is not generic. Lord, forgive me all my sins. True confession is specific, like perhaps, Lord, I confess to you the guilt of my unbelief. That leads me to worry. Lord, I confess to you the pride that fills my heart. Lord, I confess to you that I have a propensity to gossip. Lord, I confess to you that I'm a grumbler, complainer. I don't see the cup half full. I don't see the cup full at all. Lord, I confess to you. Lord, I confess to you. Whatever, fill in the blank. Be honest. When's the last time 
You are honest before God in such a way. We come to God in confession. We need to come with specifics. David wrote in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous, wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to ask God to show us our sins and specifically we need to confess them to them and then lead, choose the right path, the way everlasting. See, God knows, right? And we know, right? So let's be honest with God and tell it like it is. Confession is truly good for the soul. Well, next we see that Nehemiah prays scripture in verses 8 and 9. These are basically summary quotes from various places in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I want to read one of these passages for you in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 through 31. It's written a thousand years before Nehemiah prays this prayer. The scripture says, when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, and if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, as to provoke him for anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land, and you are going over to the Jordan to possess. You will not live in it long. You will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. And you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of stone and wood and, and the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. That's exactly the predicament the children of Israel are in. This has exactly come true some thousand years later. And in verse 8, this is exactly what Nehemiah prays to God. But the passage continues and so does the prayer. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Verse 9 there, he'll draw them back. He'll bring them back. See, Nehemiah prays this prayer. If you don't do what I've commanded you, there are going to be consequences. But if you turn back to me, there will be restoration. Nehemiah focuses prayer on biblical truth, on the promise of restoration that God himself said would happen, would take place if we turn to him. See, if the focus of prayer is trying to lay a hold of God's willingness, there's no better way of laying a hold of God's willingness than actually praying the very words of Scripture. Now, sometimes that's really not that hard to do. Let's just take a moment, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. There are two great prayers in the book of Ephesians that you can um, you know, take and you can modify so that you can pray them for yourself, for your family, for your church. The end of chapter 1, uh, there's a great prayer, thanksgiving and prayer, as it's highlighted in my scriptures. At the end of chapter 3, uh, prayer for spiritual strength. just want to start at verse 16. I just want to take these scripture verses as you're looking at the scripture, and I've changed them, I've modified them, so to take this... this um, prayer that Paul is praying here 
for the Ephesians and taking it out of the scripture and praying it for myself, praying it for my family. So you can take these scriptures. So starting at verse 16, it says, Father, according to the riches of your glory, please strengthen me with your power through your spirit in my inner being so that Christ dwells in my heart through faith that I would be rooted and grounded in your love that I may have the strength to comprehend what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love and to know that your love surpasses knowledge that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that a great prayer? When's the last time we've prayed those kind of words? We can take these words right directly out of the Scripture and rewrite them so that we can pray them from our own hearts, from our own lives. And there's an easy way to do that. You get on your computer, you go to Google, and you put in prayers in the Bible. And guess what will happen? Boom! They'll start listing for you. All these different sites that all they've done is taken prayers from the Bible and put them on a site. Then you can open up and find the different prayers in the Bible and start to adapt them, add them into your prayer life. Well, what's basically true is that you can take any scripture and start turning that scripture into a time of prayer. I've been reading Matthew in my personal uh, Bible reading time. And I, I want to show you what I do as I read the scriptures and, and how I'm able to take the scriptures and pray them in my life. So I'm in Matthew, uh, on Friday I was in Matthew chapter 16. And so I just wanted to look at a few verses there and how it prompts me to pray. And you can really do this with any, um, any passage of scripture as you're reading. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So I'm reading along there, and as I'm reading through that, I just go, Father, that's true of me. That's what I believe. I believe the same thing. I believe you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You're the Savior, the one who saved me. If someone asked me, who do you say that Jesus is? This is my answer. So I'm reading along, and I, it just spontaneously comes out some prayers. And, uh, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then you just... You know, another thought in prayer comes to mind. Well, Lord, reveal to me Jesus. Reveal to me Jesus through your word. The, the living word, Jesus, through the written word. Reveal him to me. Teach me who Jesus is. Not who I think he is. Not who I want him to be. I don't want that. I want the real Jesus. Teach me as I'm reading through the Gospels. Teach me who Jesus really is. Reveal to me who he is. And I tell you, our Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You're going, wow, that is awesome, God. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against Poland Village Baptist Church. You said it, not me. Help our church. Help us to be the kind of church that is so powerful that the gates of hell 
aren't going to prevail against it. You can be reading through the scriptures, and as you're reading the scriptures in your personal reading time, there are lots of ways to take God's word and to grasp his willingness. He wants our church to be a powerful church that's changing our community, our world for Jesus Christ. The gates of hell can't prevail against it. We can pray that back to him because that's what he wants for us. But obviously to pray the scripture, you need to be in the scripture. So if you're not in the scripture in any kind of regular way, a great way to start is to start in the Gospels and just to read about Jesus. Go to Matthew. Read a chapter. Read a chapter or two. Just start working your way through the amazing truth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Start praying the scripture and grabbing a hold of God's willingness. Next in uh, Nehemiah 1.10, Nehemiah prays for your servants, your people. A very important aspect of disciplined prayer is intercessory prayer, praying for other people, interceding with God on their behalf. This is often one of the biggest areas of our prayers, right? Praying for family and unsaved friends and extended family and church members and missionaries and government officials and church leadership and those with special needs and spiritual needs and shut-ins and on and on. It's a very important aspect of our prayer praying for other people. But to keep the right balance, we pray for other people's needs first before we pray for our own. Philippians chapter 2 says, Do nothing out of selfless ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not for your own needs, but also for the interest of others. Perhaps you've heard that acrostic joy, J-O-Y, we need to find joy. We need to have our priorities in order. Jesus, others, you. Well, that's also true for our prayers. We need to pray adoration prayers. We pray Jesus first. Then we pray others. And then lastly, we pray for ourselves, you, J-O-Y. Prayer for ourselves is called supplication. It's the last verse. In the last verse of his prayer, in the last line of his prayer, Nehemiah finally prays specifically for himself. Of course, it's good, important, valuable, and godly to pray for ourselves. We need to do that. Nehemiah prayed specifically to God about his needs. We need to be doing that. A generic prayer, Lord, bless me, does not touch the heart of real supplication. Lord, I need this. Lord, I am anxious about that. Lord, I need your direction in this area of life. Lord, I need your strength and guidance in this area. So adore God and confess your sin and pray God's word and pray interceding for the needs of others and pray for a specific direction and help from God for you. But there's another truth that we learn that developing a regularly disciplined life of prayer is not easy. Lastly, we see the persistence of prayer in Nehemiah 2.1. See, the first phrase says in the month of Nisan, that is in April or May of the calendar year. But back in chapter 1, verse 1, in the first phrase, we find out that he got the news in the month of Kislev. That's November, December. That means that Nehemiah has been having this disciplined time of prayer for four months. He's been bringing the situation to God before he ever brought it to the king. See, one of the greatest challenges in our lives is developing a disciplined regular prayer life. So take out that book that was handed to you. 
the booklet. Here's a tool. Normally the sermon ends there, right? And everybody goes home and we kind of go, oh, we should pray more. And then we walk out. Well, I'm, I'm kind of a, a simple kind of guy. And so let's just not say we want to pray more. Let's just try to figure out how we can actually pray more. So here's a little tool. This is a tool that I've used in my life, continue to use, that has given me the best success of having a disciplined, regular prayer life. Just think what our lives would be like, what our church, our community could be like. Christians were on fire praying for God. See, now the main help with this prayer booklet is that it breaks down regular prayer time into organized, manageable sections. See, one of the hardest things about prayer is, how can you stop praying? Once you start, how can you stop? I mean, there are, what, 10 bazillion things to be praying for. It's overwhelming. It's huge. It's like somebody puts a beautiful, you know, medium-rare steak in front of you. Right? And it's, there it is. And now what you have to do is eat it in one bite. That's prayer. Like all, You have to do the whole thing at one moment. Well, no, that's what this booklet here is trying to help us do. To, to enjoy the steak, you have to cut it up into pieces and eat it slowly. And so this helps us organize our thoughts, our prayer life. So it's a manageable chunk so we can do that. The, the big trick here or the big thought here is that to organize it in themes. Each day has its own theme. If you just open up and look at the daily prayer, the very first page there, it, it just has a rundown of some of the aspects of prayer we've talked about, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, all that, and place for daily prayer requests. Like in here, I put things like um, to hunger and thirst for righteousness as a daily prayer for myself, to seek first the kingdom of God, maybe a family member's name or something, something you pray every day. But if you look at the other days now, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and on through, you see that the first line is for a theme. So instead of trying to pray for everything, every day when you get time in prayer, you pray for a certain theme. And if you look on the front cover, inside front cover, I've just listed some themes, some possible themes for your day, for your family, extended family, friends, church. So you pick a theme. So let's say Sunday you pick the theme of church. You're going to church, so you pick church as your theme for Sunday. Then you have places for praises and thanksgiving to start off with. So you so maybe you write down as a, it's church, so you want to praise God that he's the guy who came up with this whole idea of church. You want to praise God that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. You want to thank God that you are a member of Poland Village Baptist Church. You can add things in there to do different things. And then you can have requests for the church, your pastor, your deacons, your Sunday school teachers, different events going on. So now on Sunday, you pray for these regular daily things, and then you pray for these certain requests. And you have a disciplined prayer life. On Monday, maybe Monday would be your prayer for, you know, your unsaved friends. So you add in some praise and prayer requests. That, Lord, that you are, you are patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And you have different, different praise and thanksgivings, and then you list your unsaved friends by name. We can't pray for everything every day. So this puts it in chunks to do that. On Tuesday, maybe you pick another different theme. Um, you know, maybe uh, Tuesday's your day to pray for missionaries. 
So you have some praises that, uh, to God that he's the God not of our nation, but he's the God of the world. That all people want to come to know him. And then you put down in the request the different missionary names. And you write down, I have a day like that, and you just list all the different missionaries. Do we know our missionaries? And this gives you a chance to know them and pray for them. Once a week, you're able to do that. You can get highlighted announcements from them and different things. So you pick a prayer. Maybe on Wednesday, it's pray for extended family. Wednesday's extended family day, so you can pray for Aunt Rita, you know, and Uncle Bobby, and, you know, all those different things. Sometimes you go to prayer and you feel guilty because you didn't pray for Aunt Rita and Uncle Bobby. And it keeps you from praying because you can't pray for all the requests. Well, here's a way to put it in manageable sections so that you know every week you are praying for your extended family. And you are praying for these needs and opportunities. So it's a great tool to take what we're trying to learn today, the truth of the scriptures, and actually walk out of here with something that we can do something with. So take advantage of it and use it. And in our time here now of communion, um, you know, pray to God that maybe this is something he wants you to explore in your life. To develop a disciplined, recurrent, regular prayer life. As we go to this time of communion, let's see if the Lord might direct us there. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this time now for your word. Lord, each one of us in this room would confess to you that a disciplined prayer life is hard. Lord, we struggle with it. And so, Lord, we pray now through this time of communion that you would teach us maybe this tool, maybe other things, that you would help us, you would mature us Now, and as we come to you in confession and in thanksgiving for what you've done, change us and challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen.